1: Welcome to the fifth season of the Combustion Chronicles podcast, where bold leaders combined with big ideas to make life better for all of us. I'm your host, Sean Nason, CEO and founder of Mofi. In these episodes, we'll be exploring the power, influence, and importance of experience ecosystems. To do that, we're bringing together the most unique and influential experience experts in the world for honest conversations about not being okay with the status quo, leading with heart, and getting real about heart sets and mindsets. In case you're wondering, an experience ecosystem is the web of people, touchpoints, and interactions that combine to create all of the positive and negative experiences we have in the world. When an organization wants to improve customer experience, they're wasting their time if they're not willing to engage and humanize their entire experience ecosystem. It's time to blow up some silos and ignite an experience revolution by putting people first. On this episode, we're digging into the role that digital technology plays in transforming our experience horizons. So how might we prepare for the new experience frontiers that will be here before we know it? To get us started in this conversation, our first guest is John Radoff. John is the CEO of Beamable, a creator-centric platform for building live games. Before founding Beamable, John built one of the first commercial games on the internet, took a web content management company public, grew a game advertising network, and launched mobile games played by millions of people, including Game of Thrones Ascent and Star Trek Timelines. Welcome to the Combustion Chronicles, John.
2: Thanks, Sean. Great to be here.
1: I have a six-year-old son with special needs, and watching him, he's into one of the really popular games, and how he gets immersed in it, and like... The rest of the world doesn't even matter (laughs) to him when he's in that moment. So to prepare the rest of us for what comes after the internet, you created a guide to the metaverse. Can you explain the metaverse and why it will transform the experience economy? Because that's really important to us and those of us that work in the experience realm.
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess we should start by maybe defining what I mean by metaverse. It's one of those words that you, that's used a lot by a lot of different people. I mean, it was a term originally coined by an author named Neil Stevenson in a book called Snow Crash. And he was talking about this very immersive 3D virtual reality space that everyone could connect to. And and I think that's part of it. But really, the metaverse is something that already exists. It's not something that's just out in the future. It's anytime you're on the internet, and you're interacting, and in a real time space, or you feel like you, like, you yourself, self being kind of the key word there, are present, then you're really in the metaverse. And it could be virtual reality. It could be games like the ones your son is playing. It could be other immersive social experiences. could be even in Zoom, for example. So you have all these touch points to the metaverse. I think the thing that's changing about it, that, that kind of drive the trends that will propel us for the next several years is both the immersiveness of it, the idea that you are in these spaces and places and you feel like you yourself are present, but also these areas as a form for creative expression. So one of the things that's been very hard for most of the internet's life so far is that you have to be a technician or an engineer to really build stuff up from scratch. And... You know, certain things have changed that like there's blog and wiki software and you can create things or you could record a podcast and put it out there. You could use something like, you know, Shopify to make an online store. So People have been chiseling away at this for years, but to do truly immersive experiences crafted into spaces of the kinds that games are in or virtual worlds, that's been super, super hard for the most part. But we're starting to have technologies that make it easier for people. Some people might be acquainted with things like, you know, Roblox. And uh, if your child's six, you may become acquainted with Roblox soon if you're not already. Well, so, well, well Roblox wasn't his favorite. His is Minecraft. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but I mean, in, in a sense, similar in that that's also a place for creative expression, right? So what's wonderful about Minecraft is that pretty much anybody can sit down in front of it and start building worlds doing more sophisticated behaviors, kind of making your own games. That's a little harder in Minecraft. Roblox added a lot of things like that. But, you know, when I think about the metaverse, just to kind of bring back to the term for a moment it's really about creating this creative space that isn't one particular world not one virtual world or one particular game or minecraft or whatever it's about bringing these this support for creative expression across all kinds of different experiences and really just giving people a fertile space where they can craft worlds and experiences games of their own and then bring people into it
1: as we're talking about this you know the value in gaming and this metaverse that you're talking about at large comes from this interaction with friends, many times people you don't even know through these shared experiences. What can other industries learn from this and from the gaming industry as we move forward into the future?
2: If you look beyond games to all the applications of the metaverse, it's going to affect pretty much every industry. One step away from games, you've got immersive social experiences. There's lots of just purely social experiences that you wouldn't call them games, but they're just hanging out with your friends and doing stuff together. So that, of course, will happen. You're going to see more applications in the metaverse around work and collaboration. So I think in some respects, even things like Zoom are part of the metaverse in terms of work collaboration. But then you've got companies like NVIDIA that are building this omniverse hub, which is going to allow architects and engineers and designers to actually build spaces, real-world spaces and buildings in a virtual reality environment. So you've got this tremendous range there. So like we could go on and on and on talking about it, like, but it, it truly does impact every industry and think of the metaverse as a continuum between purely virtual worlds where you go into something, but also the bleeding out of the metaverse out back into what we'd call the real world or what I call the physical world, actually, because I don't just I don't think of virtual as not real, but <laughs> there's the physical world and augmented reality and adding and layering new information and feeding us information. That's a whole exciting Piece of what we'll be calling the metaverse as well.
1: For those of us that don't live in the world that you live in, John, in this gaming industry and in this technology, you said you don't think of the the virtual world as not the real world. I think for many people, we, me being one of those, until you just said that, think, oh, that virtual world is something that's not real, but it is very real.
2: Yeah, and, and ask uh, ask any kid, particularly like down at the the age range of your child and ask them to talk about like how much of their personal identity their life is actually defined by the things that they've now done online i would say that there's a huge number of people out there in fact who are mostly defined by what they do online look at the whole <laughs> industries of esports for example all kinds of different, or live streaming and and all these influencers and social media. I mean, there's good and bad to that, but I think increasingly we're just going to see more and more people defining themselves by their avatars and their achievements in virtual realms and who they are and how they want to present themselves and how they want to identify themselves within these, these realms. So the digital version of oneself is going to be, for many people, more important than the physical version of themselves. And for that reason, I think of it as equally real, like your physical self, your virtual self, those are both real, just like your friendships that you make with people online. Those friendships are real.
1: Let's talk a moment then around Beamable. It's a disrupting gaming by easily adding social, commerce, and content management to live games. Can you explain a little bit why this is transformational in this experience ecosystem and what you guys are doing there?
2: Yeah, there's millions of people that want to make games. And and in fact, millions of people that are making games. The great thing about being a game maker today is that the tools like Unity and Unreal Roblox, et cetera, have made many aspects of the creation process a lot easier. If you want to make a commercial game, meaning you want to be an independent game maker who owns your own destiny, puts your game out there on the internet for people to download and play, that's still kind of hard to do. The 3D graphics part is way easier to do today than it used to be. But making a business out of it, which means updating it regularly and monetizing it, being able to sell things to people, virtual items and customizations and new content and things like that. All the kind of social support that you need in a game to allow people to play that game, socialize with each other, chat with each other, form friendships, form guilds and gaming clans and stuff. All that stuff takes a lot of work. So our our vision with Beamable really is to make game-making in this metaverse sphere with social features and monetization and frequent updates. Just make that as easy as it is in Roblox, but give you the freedom to deliver your game wherever you want and really just own your own destiny.
1: You actually have a great article series that you post in Medium about the gaming industry, which actually includes a piece about the economics of gaming and building the business case for that. So can you break down the economics of the unique entertainment value provided by gaming compared to other entertainment and how it ties back to the experience ecosystem?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think the common theme of virtually every kind of game that exists is it's an attention economy, which is not different than a lot of media, frankly. But when you really break it down, a game's ability to generate revenue for the creator of the game is, is going to be more or less proportionate to how much attention it gathers. And that goes all the way back to the earliest video games in the arcades where you're popping quarters in. So you put one quarter in after another to keep playing the game. If your attention wanes and you want to move on to something else, guess what? You're not putting quarters in that machine anymore. And that attention economy has remained true for virtually... Every kind of game. So about half or even more than half of the revenue of the game industry today is free to play games, mobile games that are largely monetized through virtual goods and sometimes advertising. Now, advertising, it seems obvious where attention comes into that, because if your attention is on an ad, the ad might be able to make some money. Virtual goods, it's a little more indirect. It's just because people are spending time in the game and they want to customize their avatar presentations that they can look a little different and identify themselves within these games. It all just kind of relates, though, back to how much time they're spending in the game. And if they're committed to it, that attention will will convert back to money. You see it even in in what are called premium games in the industry. So a premium game is where you spend $50, $60, $70 to buy, download a game, and there's not any virtual goods to, to spend your money on. But in these kind of games, it's really about the franchise. So they're going to release more games of that type in the future, and... If you spent a lot of time in the first game, you're far more likely to want to go and acquire more elements of that sequel. But it all comes back to attention. Now, you know, your question or comment about what can other industries learn from that? And you're using this term, the experience economy. I I think experience and attention kind of go hand in hand. It's if people are having experiences, the experiences are going to gain a lot of meaningfulness for people either because there are these amazing peak experiences that people hold in their head forever, or it's that with or without just a lot of time being spent in the experience. Totally fascinating.
1: And, you know, John, we could go on and learn so much, but my big nugget there and I haven't heard it said a lot, but it's that attention economy, even shifting from an experience to an attention economy. I thank you for that. And John, we've come to this point in this segment where we do something called the combustion questions. Uh Two randomly selected questions (laughs) that we're going to give you that you have not seen or talked about with us. And a matter of fact, I have not seen them. I just received them myself. So John, are you ready for your combustion questions? Let's go for it. (laughs) All right. Combustion question number one. Which TV character would you like to have lunch with?
2: I'll go for a twofer on this because uh, Tyrion Lannister is just an amazing character that I feel like I could learn so much from. And Peter Dinklage is, a, is an amazing actor. So I feel like I could get two for one on that. Awesome.
1: And combustion
2: question number two, would
1: you rather have a flying carpet or a car that can drive underwater? <laughs>
2: A car that can drive underwater. I think that's called a submarine. I'd absolutely go for the flying carpet because that's magic. That sounds amazing.
1: I love it. Well, again, John, thank you for joining us here and kicking us off around this experience horizons in in the gaming industry, all the knowledge you've given us. And I hope to have you back on
2: and we do some more collaborating together. Sounds awesome. Thank you so much, Sean.
1: Let's shift now to a focus on experience standards in new models of healthcare. And to bring us there, we have Dr. Swati Mehta. Swati is the Director of Quality and Performance at Vituity, overseeing patient experience programs nationally across more than 300 hospitals. She's board certified and completed her internal medicine residency at SUNY Upstate Medical University, where she was selected as chief resident. She currently sits on the Executive Physician Council of the Burrell Institute and serves as Chair of the Society for Hospital Medicine's Patient Experience Committee. Welcome to the Combustion Chronicle, Swati.
0: Thank you so much, Sean, for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
1: Well, it is such an honor. I know, especially in... Today's time, doctors are just working tons of hours and that you're still practicing. So I thank you for taking this time with us. And I really want to dig into this role that you have and a concept we talked about, about the experience ecosystem, Swati. And Mm -hmm. so to start there, providers have been put to a test of endurance through this pandemic. Can you tell us about Vituity's model and how Vituity is supporting the provider experience in new ways?
0: Absolutely. Great question, Sean. So Vituity, we are a democratic physician partnership. So we don't have shareholders, but everyone is a stakeholder. By that, I mean that all of our physicians have an equal role, equal voice and a vote in their practices. So as you mentioned, 300 hospitals, you know, the local nuances of each different hospital system is different. And that is why we empower our physician teams to advocate for their patients, their communities, in the way they feel best. We, we try and make this frontline driven approach, if you will. So that's what Vituity pr- provides, a democratic physician partnership nationally partnering with amazing health systems to give compassionate and high-quality clinical care. So that's what Bituity does. And to your point about what's happening during the pandemic and how Bituity is supporting our burnt-out providers, I still do my clinical shifts, as you know. I I work here at Frederick Uh City, and I see patients and um, all of my peers, we are so happy that all of our Vituity executives from our CEO, our chief medical officer, everyone does clinical shifts. So they are in touch with what's happening with our patients. What do they need specifically in the pandemic, right? So because they could really have the finger on the pulse of what's happening, we did various things for our partners nationally. For example, Vituity, we extended emergency loans for our physicians and advanced providers who were experiencing financial hardship, right? Volumes are going down patient even providers were. Not really getting uh, what they needed in terms of hours. There are other things that Vituity did for provider wellness. Is we have a director level physician position. We go to each hospital and do workshops on how are our physicians doing, how are our nurses doing, really to really tap what's going on and provide support, which is so much needed right now in healthcare.
1: I have to commend you and Vituity because the one nugget that totally stood out to me there was. The fact that you guys still do your rounds, you still see patients. And we talk about this all the time at Mofi. You know, Mm -hmm. we're an experiential, maverick-minded design firm. And we hear about it all the time that executives aren't getting out there. And so they're not in touch with their patients or their customers. And yet you are. And I I just want to commend you all for that so much. Thank you. So let's talk about this then because... You pioneered what you call the 6-H model of human connection for healthcare. Can you tell the audience what that is and how it can adapt in an age of accelerated telehealth?
0: Absolutely. So when we talk about human connection, it's not just a nice idea. We know research is showing that patients who have a greater satisfaction is more because They're connected with their physicians, they're connected with their nurses, and that leads to clinical outcomes improvement. We know that empathy and communication lifts other aspects of our physician performances, right? So we know this is really important. So when I sat down early 2020, when this pandemic was kind of just booming, my aim was, what do our patients want? They're their sickest, they're most anxious, they don't have their loved ones next to them. What do they need? Let's begin with that. And then let's do things and say things to them to really meet that need. So for me, the six H model is the core of any human connection and is easily implementable. So for me, the six Hs, just for everyone is first, the patients want, hear my story, please uninterruptedly listen to what I have to say. Second is heed to my worries. Ask me, what do you, I think what's going on. What am I worried about in terms of my healthcare journey? Third, Help me navigate. And your experience ecosystem, Sean, does an excellent job of touching all those points, right? Help me navigate digitally. Help me navigate where I access what. Help me navigate what's going to happen in the emergency department. So the third H is help me navigate. Fourth is be honest with me. Be transparent with what you can do and what you cannot do. Fifth is heal misunderstanding. We know service recovery is a core part of any service industry. Um, healthcare is no different. So heal misunderstandings and nip things in the bud there and then between the physician, the care teams, and the patient and the families. And last but not the least, six is leave me with hope. Anytime you get out of the patient's mm-hmm. room, leave them with something positive. So that's six H model. But how can your question about how do we do this as things are scaling, as telehealth is taking forth, and absolutely we need to meet our patients' need and meet them where they are, right? So if it's a telehealth scenario, VITUITY has very important like, skill sets handouts that we give to all of our physicians. Hey, you're having a telehealth visit. You can have a human connection electronically, right? You can, in multiple ways, build a rapport and trust. And I have a great handout, which I can share with the podcast um, audience as well.
1: So let's dig a little bit deeper into that then, Swati. So when you're designing these healthcare experiences, and let me be honest here, because I've been in the healthcare space for over 10 years and providers get a really bad rap about wanting to provide a great experience. And that's what drew me to to follow you and learn more about you and and hear your thoughts because that's not true. And I'd say that that's uh, not true about most providers, right? Like, All of you got into this to care. So, when you're designing these healthcare experiences, where do you look for
0: inspiration? For me, inspiration is everywhere around me. My first and foremost influence is what my patients are telling me. When I see an elderly patient and, he and his wife is on the phone because they cannot be there and they really value telehealth during the COVID pandemic, I knew that we had to do something. And within five days, we started a telehealth program for inpatient. We know we have it for outpatient and other visits, but inpatient, while the patient's admitted, we got everything done within five days so that our patients could be able to talk to their loved ones, have a good visit, with the nurses and the doctors. So those nuances, those inspirations for technology come from the patients, the frontline, and you know families. The second is absolutely important, is the different service industries. We are not in a silo, right, Sean? We, we see how Amazon and Southwest and... Zappos and, you know, everyone that we we touch as a customer, that's what our patients are also wanting. Hey, I get excellent experience in X, Y, and Z. Healthcare is where I want my best experience. I can't take chances. And that's why we have to live up to them. And that's my inspiration.
1: We preach this all the time. So to hear a provider, a clinician say the same things, it makes (laughs) my heart beat and brings me joy, Swati. And I, I thank you so much. I want to turn this a little bit around a business case. And let's talk about the evolution of providers. So there is still this concern of a looming provider shortage at the same time that there is a rise in some providers taking more of an interest in health tech and startup consulting role. So is there a danger in the rise of the doctorpreneur Or will they save the healthcare industry?
0: I believe the latter. I strongly believe that uh, uh, our interest as physicians, as clinical leaders, if, if we know the nuances, we know what's broken in terms of the healthcare record system, the electronic healthcare record system, the navigation for patients when they get out of the hospital, how do we do that? We know what's broken, what the problem is. So we can really help and have, if we have an innovative mindset, to contribute with our technology and IT buddies to really collectively really improve the healthcare that we deliver to our patients. So I feel really strongly that the physicians who really have the bent of mind to lean in this are really needed right now. And I feel together, if we are able to reach different medical students, different underprivileged kids to say hey, come, come to medical school. Let us help you through technology and really reach and scale our influence. I think physicians being in the IT world and really having a collaborative approach is going to make things way better, in my mind.
1: Brilliant. Well, there's so much more we could talk about here, and we'll definitely do that in the future. But it's come to that point in this segment where we do these things called the combustion questions. And they're two randomly selected questions for you, Swati. Are you ready for those?
0: Sure, I am. So,
1: combustion question number one. If you could get a ticket to any show or event, what would you want a ticket to?
0: I think it always, to me, boils down to going back to Disney because the experience is great. So, any place that is connected to a Disney experience... Sign me up for that.
1: I love it. As a former Walt Disney Imagineer, Swati, you're you're singing to my heart. So (laughs) I I love that. All right. Are you ready for combustion question number two? Let's do it. Do you prefer pens, pencils, or markers?
0: That's a very interesting question. And I honestly like pencils. Why? I'll tell you why. This is a little bit of a quirk I have, if you will. I always take notes on paper. I honestly, and, and I know many of us do, but I, I really enjoy, like right now as well, we you are talking. I always like to have that pencil in my hand and kind of, you know, chug away in different ideas I have. And then when I sharpen that pencil, old school style, like my toddler sharpens their crayons and pencils, um, that gives me some time to really think about what am I writing next or what did I write before? And that introspection few seconds really helps me have a mature conversation during my call. So I know this is kind of just me, but I like that.
1: I love it. And um, thank you again for being here with us. And um, we look forward to speaking with you in the future.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sean, for having me.
1: To wrap up this episode, we have a leader who is an expert in the application of immersive learning. Our final guest is Dove Hirsch. Dove is the founder of Continuum XR, an immersive health group platform offering mixed reality, evidence-based clinician and caregiver education and training. Welcome to the Combustion Chronicles, Dove. It's great to be here, Sean. Let, let's have some fun. So, Dove, you're the end of these three segments that we're having really around new experience horizons in the digital technology space. And we've talked about gaming and we've talked about healthcare. So, it is great to bring it all together with the world of VR for provider training and caregiver type training. So, starting off broadly, can you tell our audience what is Continuum XR and what do you do and how do you do it?
3: Okay, absolutely. And I'll do my best to be succinct. But essentially, what we're looking to do is we're looking to bring the best of experiential learning to essentially clinicians and caregivers of all types so that they can more effectively hone and improve their craft, delivering the best possible care possible. And so the way in which we do that is using immersive technology, so virtual reality, augmented reality. And we need to think about it in terms of there's a few components here, but at the end of the day, when we think about the roots of how clinicians and caregivers historically had trained and acquired skills, it was largely on-the-job training. The challenge of that in today's world is people don't want to have someone do a complex surgical procedure for the first time on them, right? And historically speaking, I mean, many educators will agree that the best possible way to learn something is by doing it, giving them the opportunity to make mistakes. And so unfortunately, we haven't had the ability to deliver that type of learning in the field of healthcare, essentially since the inception of it, right? Most. Um, clinicians, doctors, nurses, they trained, for instance, on the battlefield. And that's how they acquired a lot of skills, experience, knowledge, etc. But nowadays, that's not really possible. What, what virtual reality now offers, because it's an accessible, affordable technology, essentially, for the first time, it's been around for a long time, but now it's very accessible and affordable. It gives people the opportunity to make plenty of mistakes. And that's where the magic of the learning occurs.
1: You have said that adaptability will define the next generation of caregiving. So how does your mixed reality platform create experiences that heighten adaptability then, not only for caregivers, but also then for this clinician-type training?
3: Essentially, the idea here is we know a lot about how people learn best. And obviously, I just mentioned a little bit about that with experiential learning. The other thing that's important to understand is often referred to as micro learning, just in time training um, is another one essentially what that's looking at is we really want to slow things down and we want to give people that opportunity that feedback in that moment when they make a choice to do something as to whether or not they should receive a reward for making that choice or otherwise right some constructive feedback and so what we can do is essentially stop people in that moment when they're in a virtual space that's modeled and created based on the real space we can actually give them that feedback in that moment so that they can then stop, get that feedback, and then try again and do it differently, right? It's, it's effectively the function of unlearning something. And that really is what we mean when we talk about adaptability, the ability to say, okay... On Monday, I might be training on one piece of medical device one uh, from one manufacturer. And by the end of the week, hopefully not, but by the end of the week may have made a change or we may find ourselves in a situation where we're working with a completely different device. We need to think differently and we need to know how to change the way we do things on a dime simply put. That's really at the granular level. At the macro level, it's kind of cliche nowadays to say healthcare is changing. It's certainly my belief that we're moving to a point where the rate of change in healthcare is only going to increase and increase exponentially. So people are going to need to figure out how to adapt. and this type of technology really enables
1: them to do that. Let's talk about the success rate of it then because I think this is a nut that's been trying to be cracked for years mm-hmm. in that space, right? Yeah. that how are clinicians in particular responding to this? Let's talk
3: about the world of clinicians and caregivers and kind of that professional ecosystem that they work within. There are some large demographic shifts happening that we should absolutely recognize. Essentially, right, we're, we're looking at a new generation of caregivers that are increasingly playing a greater and greater role. And we're also seeing an unfortunate what I would consider to be an unfortunate loss of depth of experience from people who are retiring, who've been delivering care for 15, 20, 30 plus years, and they've built a longstanding career. And so there's a lot that can be said about that. But the reason I set that context is we have worked with both clinicians um, who are in training, clinicians and caregivers who are in training. So as an example, right, students in a nursing program or advanced practice nursing program who have not performed in a hospital or care environment yet ever, right? So they're just getting ready to start thinking about building their career and their hands-on training and experience. And then we've also worked with people who have been on the other end of that spectrum who have 20, 30 years plus. And what's interesting is what we've seen is the learning curve, the adoption and the learning curve for emerging technology like virtual reality-based training. Essentially, it takes twice as long for somebody who is moving towards the end of their career, as it does someone who's at the beginning of their career. So people are often not surprised to hear that because people who tend to be more experienced, they'll often say something anecdotally when they're starting with our technology saying, you know, I'm not a gamer. I have to use, you know, two hands to type on my phone. They'll, they'll make all these qualifying statements as, as if they're not going to do well. They're almost setting themselves up for failure. What's interesting about that is it's a difference between basically a three-minute learning curve and a six-minute learning curve. So there's this misconception that they won't get it, even self-imposed, but they get it mm. very, very quickly. They pick it up very, very quickly. There is a qualifier to that statement, and that is it's all about design. Yeah. So it's 100% about design. So if that experience, that training experience was designed well, then there shouldn't be a problem right there's getting comfortable with things like buttons and controllers that's hardware that's just hardware if it's designed poorly right just like a physical space if it's designed poorly it's going to make people feel uncomfortable and so from our perspective does it everything starts with design here, it's game design and instructional design. Everything always starts with design.
1: Obviously, Dove, we talk a lot about the experience ecosystem. And in that whole experience ecosystem is this whole concept as well, design and what that looks like. And we talk about an experience promise. So your communication... It's all about taking action so much so that we did some research and your newsletter sign up button even says do something. How did your team design that and decide to make that such a forward like experience promise to your consumers that do something?
3: That's something that really hits home with me. I'll, I'll say and and I think certainly and our team. I'll take a step back. But, you know, really not speaking about the work we do per se. Just in general, when I think about healthcare. You've been in healthcare for some time. I've been in healthcare for some time. As much change as we're seeing now, it's a laggard industry. I mean, change moves unbelievably slow and and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Some change, in fact, in order to be sustainable and impactful needs to move at a more slow pace. I think where things get concerning is when people aren't doing anything. There's a lot of talk and there's not a lot of learning. Because of the business that we're in, we're in the business of giving people experiential learning opportunities. We very much believe in experiential learning opportunities on the whole. And so we find that the people who we work with who are excited and interested, quite frankly, we we haven't really met a lot of people who aren't excited and interested in emerging technology and healthcare, but the people who we tend to work with are action-oriented, simply put. Meaning they know that... Adopting something like virtual reality in a clinical environment or a university environment is never going to be seamless and simple and easy. It's new hardware, new technology. There's a learning curve and everything that comes with that. But the only way to actually actually make change is to actually make change, right? You actually have to do something about it. And so, you know, we know better. I think largely from my experience is that One of the things I love about the healthcare industry is that it's unbelievably pragmatic, right? If it can be done with a pencil and paper, it's going to be done with a pencil and paper and oftentimes should be. And so the thinking here is really that we don't ever want to overpromise and say, this is going to solve all your problems or anything. But we know that this technology, these types of solutions, and and there's many others out there, they simply are the future, whether that future is tomorrow or 10 years from now. They are the future of what this is going to look like. And if, if health systems do not start doing things, it's going to be too late. And in many cases, we're already starting to see that to be the case.
1: I think you're right. And that actually leads to something that's really important to us around the heart in business. And so how can we use virtual reality and how can we leverage it to create empathy and empower providers to create experiences that are sensitive to all cultures, to all races, to all likes? How might this type of training change the health and wellness of often marginalized and underserved populations.
3: It's a really good question. There is no simple answer to it. I'll share my perspective as an individual on this in terms of the opportunity for this technology. The phrase, walk a mile in someone's shoes, it's a phrase that's been used for a very long time. And we can all do our best to try and do that, right? I, I am not you, Sean. You are you are not me. We have many shared experiences at the human level. But at the end of the day, right, we're all living quite frankly, in my opinion, our own individual realities. What this technology does provide is an opportunity to look at the world through someone else's lens. Okay. So as just one example of that, that means that as I walk through the world, as I engage with other people throughout the world, my exterior, my persona, my attitude, my energy, everything about that, it affects my environment, which then in turn affects me. People who are from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, right? Gender orientation, sexual orientation. There's any number of ways in which you can actually embody somebody else. So the cultural phenomenon that I often refer people to is, have you ever seen the movie Being John Malkovich?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
3: Okay. The whole movie is is predicated on John Cusack's character, right? Who's a puppeteer and he enters the, you know, the body. And when he enters the body of John Malkovich, he's looking at the world through someone's eye. And this is a technology that allows you to do that. Now, does that mean that you get to live life as somebody else? No, you don't. So there remain limitations on that. From my perspective, one of the most interesting opportunities here is just the ability to actually experience what the world around them, how it would change if they were to embody somebody else. And that's very powerful. It's a very, very powerful thing.
1: You know, we talk a lot about high-tech, high-touch, that marriage you just talked so beautifully about of those. And then how do you walk in that empathy? We could talk more about this on and on. But unfortunately, we've come to that point here. We close out every episode, every segment with these things called the Combustion Questions. And so there are two randomly selected questions that I just found out what they were. They were just handed to me. And you do not know what they are. But are you ready for your Combustion Questions, though? I know they're going to come whether I'm ready or not. <laughs> awesome. Well, question number one, Dove, is this. If you had an animal renamed in your honor, which animal would it be? So
3: interestingly enough, Sean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat on this question. I'm just letting you know in advance. My name actually is Hebrew. So Dove is Hebrew, and it means bear. So technically speaking, I am named. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: So so a bear then. Hey, not everyone can say that. that that's true. an honor that you have. That's right. So combustion question number two, Dove. What do you think about bulldozers? I've never driven
3: one or operated one, but I would love to do so. Why? They're like earth movers. You can shape the world around you with it.
1: Well, you know, there's an experience in Las Vegas that you can do those things. Maybe we need to go do that together because I think it would be a blast to drive them as well. I, so, I, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thanks so much, Dove. It's been a pleasure to have you on here. A pleasure to learn about Continuum XR and and how you're really changing the learning scene um, for clinicians. So thank you for being here and um, hope that we can see each other soon and talk again.
3: Sean, it was a lot of fun as expected.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Combustion Chronicles. Let's keep the conversation going by connecting on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. To learn more about the world of experience ecosystems, go to mofi.co, where you'll discover ideas and resources to help you ignite your own experience revolution. Be sure to check out my book, Kiss Your Dragons, Radical Relationships, Bold Heart Sets, and Changing the World, available now at Amazon. Then head over to Seanason.com to engage resources, a discussion guide, and information about everything from self-paced training to personal coaching. You can find this episode recap at Seanason.com. We know you lead a busy life, so if you're driving, exercising, or maybe just blowing your own shit up, don't worry, we've already taken the notes for you. Each recap is filled with exclusive guest information, episode themes, quotes, resources, and more. And remember, please subscribe, rate, and review. As always,
0: stay safe and be well.